On this episode of Weddings for a Living, I hope to shed some light on some of the mistakes that I have made as a professional wedding planner so you can avoid making them too. I'm Debbie Quain. You're listening to another episode of Weddings for a Living. This is the online talk show created for new and aspiring wedding planners. And maybe you're not so new and you're not even aspiring. Maybe you're a full-fledged wedding planner. Hopefully you'll learn something too. For additional information, including articles and past episodes of the show, please visit weddingsforaliving.com. That's weddingsforaliving.com. I knew that I wanted this episode to be about newbie wedding planner mistakes. And when I was putting some points together, I started listing all of the things that I have done wrong (laughs) as a professional wedding planner. I'm embarrassed to tell you the list was kind of (laughs) long. So today I'm going to go over some of the some of the bigger mistakes and in the hopes that it will help you. And you'll hear a lot of not, shouldn't have, and things like that. But these are mistakes. And if you can avoid them, why not avoid them, right? So I'm going (laughs) to bear all today. But just to give you a bit of background, I've got my first taste working. You may have heard me say this before, so just bear with me. I got my first taste of weddings working at Tavern on the Green in New York City in Manhattan. So this was a world-renowned restaurant in the middle of Central Park. It's not open anymore. And when I worked there, I worked for the owner, Warner Leroy at the time. Very lush, very extravagant weddings were taking place there. So, you know, the if you Google Tavern on the Green, if you're not familiar, you'll sort of see pictures and hear about this legendary place. So very high-end weddings there. And I was hooked. And I said to myself, I want to do this. I want to do this for, you know, when I'm not here. And And to be fair, my primary function wasn't as an event planner, but I got deeply involved with a lot of the the events there. So I wanted to, I made the decision I wanted to be involved in planning weddings as a professional. And then I started having doubts. So in case you didn't know, I am a black woman. And at that time, I thought, well, if I'm planning weddings professionally, especially these high-end weddings, I'm not seeing too many other planners, event planners, wedding planners who look like me. So I'm going to be limited. People are not going to want to hire me. So I started coming up with all these reasons as to why I couldn't do this. And I contacted Preston Bailey. Preston Bailey, based in New York. I don't remember if I called, sent an email, wrote a letter. I'm a writer too, so maybe I sent a letter. And he called me back. I couldn't believe Preston Bailey. Hi, Debbie. This is Preston Bailey. And I, oh my God, Preston Bailey. And we spoke and I told him about the concerns I was having, and he made it clear, crystal clear to me that the issues I I was having, really, I was making them up in my mind. And if other people really did have an issue with who I was, meaning based on my appearance, not looking like them perhaps, that that was their issue and not mine. And that should not be the focus, that I had way a laundry list of other things that I can make an issue for me as the owner of my own wedding planning company. But that shouldn't be one of them. It was great. It was great feedback. He told me about his 
background and how he got started. It was priceless. God, I wish I'd recorded that that conversation. And then at a later point, I met with Diane Valentine. Diane Valentine is another celebrity wedding planner. And we met in New York. I think we actually met at Tavern on the Green. Yeah, we did. And I was struck, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, just how ordinary she was, meaning she's just like me. It's another person. And I think sometimes we forget, especially in this era now where everybody's sensationalized and, you know, celebrities are front and center with social media and such. But really, they're just everyday people with issues and concerns and things to do just like you and me. So anyway, I moved forward, kept going. And I hesitated to do a few things. And I'll talk about this as part of my mistakes. I haven't even got to the mistakes yet, so I'm sorry. Um, and one of the things I did, finally, I got off the time, I got a business phone line. And at that time, that was a big deal. I'm aging myself here. And once I, and it took me forever to come up with this decision to, to, to you know, bite the bullet and get this business phone line. I was operating from my home in New York, but I got a business phone line. And as, I mean, within two or three weeks, I want to say, I got my first client who found me then at that time on the yellow pages online or something like that. So I really am dating myself. And I booked my first wedding, a Jewish wedding at that. And I remember I charged $1,500 thereabouts. And I think I did primarily day off, maybe with a few additional hours of planning. So that's my background. And, you know, one day when I have more time, we'll get into that. So that's a bit of my, my background. So Along the way, I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. And one of them, so I'm starting with the mistakes now. I'm finally there now, right? <laughs> the first thing um, that, that came to me as I was writing these points down was my mistake is not was not operating or thinking like a professional business owner. Many of us come into this industry because we've planned a wedding or planned our own wedding. That wasn't how I really saw it for me. I didn't plan someone's wedding and then say, hey, I want to do this. I kind of saw them as they were happening at Tavern on the Green and wanted to be part of it. I kind of got swept up. But planning weddings really is not what it's, it is what it's about, but that's how a lot of us come in. But we're not thinking, we're thinking more about weddings and not thinking about being a business owner. So let me just put it to you this way. Planning weddings means very little to no recurring income. The majority of the couples getting married, most, most of the weddings you plan, that's it. You'll work closely with a couple and then, once the wedding is over, that's it. Maybe if you offer some other services, there's a chance they'll come back to you from other social events. But usually, usually the wedding is the biggest party that somebody will ever host. And that's when they, they need your help as a professional wedding planner. So very little recurring income. So we've already got a negative there, right? Another point uh, as, uh, as, a bit, as looking at weddings from a business standpoint is the majority of couples who are getting married will not hire a wedding planner. It's a very small segment of engaged couples that will hire a wedding planner. That's another strike. That's another strike. Planning a wedding from beginning to end takes many, many hours, at least 100, and 100 is on the low end. I'm going to say it's closer to three or 400 hours to plan a wedding from beginning to end, depending on how involved and how much lead time there is from the planning process to the wedding day. And if you truly build for every hour that you spend planning a wedding, your fees would be through the roof, I'm telling you. Because for many of us, it's a labor of love, right? We're not billing for all of the time that we should. But if we were really diligent and paid attention to the time we spend involved in another planning another person's wedding, it's a lot of hours. But we're not billing for all those hours. That's another strike. So one other point. You'll notice it, 
you don't see a lot of huge wedding planning firms out there. I know when people are new, they come in and they want to start working for another wedding planner or shadow or be mentored by, but you don't, you aren't seeing too many big wedding planning firms out there. At least I'm not. There's a reason for that. And it has to do with that small segment of people that actually hire a wedding planner. It's not the norm. It's not like we've got to have a caterer. It's not like we've got to have a DJ or there must be a venue. We must have flowers. That's not how it is for wedding planners. It's changing. The segment of clients who are using wedding planners is growing, but we're not there yet. So when you look at it from a business standpoint, you're kind of fighting a bit of a losing battle. There are very few people that come into the wedding business, I believe, to be millionaires or say, I'm going to make a killing planning weddings. It's more of, I love weddings. I love the, the being involved in this process. And I want, I want to do this for a living. That's usually the angle that many of us come in, right? I don't know if you'd agree with that. So as a, as a business, it's not always the way. It's not, it's not a traditional business in the sense that it's got a lot going for you. And I'm not here to put you off. I'm just saying that when you come into this as a, as a wedding, professional wedding plan, just keep that at the back of your mind. I get a lot of emails about certification and things like that. What do I need to do? How do I need to prepare? And I would say, you know, a few business classes are well worth the investment. Several business classes are well worth the investment to get your head on the right, in the right mind frame as to how a business should be run. If you're in school, stay in school. You know what I mean? Get You need that foundation to run a business that makes sense and to maybe even see when a bit running a business like this may not make sense. So coming at it, not thinking like a business owner was a problem for me. I, ha- I also had an employee mindset. I was scared to make decisions. I would think about the cost of things and not thinking about the return, meaning, for example, I was focusing on things like, my logo for my company and the colors I was going to use for my brand instead of thinking about what can I do to invest and and save me some time? What's going to cut back on some of the time I'm spending doing these things for clients that I'm not even really billing enough of my time for? You know what I mean? So that's not thinking like a business person. I'm thinking too much like thinking of the wedding thing. And that's a big deal for many of us. I also underestimated the importance of marketing. It really is more about getting the eyes your way. And I'll talk a bit a bit more about that further on, as opposed to how good I am at planning a wedding and getting things together. That's a part of it. But if people, no matter how good you are, how great you are, if people don't know you exist, you're going to have a problem. That's a huge problem. Another thing I did, which is still falling under this not thinking like a professional business owner, I was getting caught up in creating a whole bunch of packages. This is how I was setting up my business and with what seemed to be clever names. And I see this a lot when really all I needed was a small, a medium and a large, because more than that, you're going to paralyze your future clients. So, again, thinking like a business owner, what makes sense? Why do you need six and seven different types of wedding planning packages when we're only targeting a small segment of engaged couples? who are going to do business with us probably just one time, and we're probably not going to even bill enough of our time. God, I'm making it sound like a real dismal industry right now. That's not my intention. I just want you to think like a business owner because I didn't do that at the beginning. I really didn't. You've got to think like a business owner, like an entrepreneur. And I, I didn't do that. That was one of my biggest mistakes. Okay, another mistake that I made was not creating a business plan. Now, I don't mean a business plan in the traditional sense that's 
pages and pages long and executive summary and financial projections. You just have to be ready to answer some questions and address certain issues about your business. And that requires some planning. And a business plan, I'm doing air quotes, if you could see me, you just need to put your thoughts on paper and think about this logically. Give this some thought. Is this going to be viable? Can I make money doing this? How, how is this going to work? At the very least, you got to be prepared to answer the questions that are inevitably going to come your way. Let's start there, right? Someone's going to ask you, what's the correct question that someone's going to ask you who wants you to plan their wedding? Tell me. Tell me. Yeah. How much do you charge? I'm amazed at how many wedding planners still struggle with the answer to that question. And yet they're in business. How can that be? People are going to ask you, what sort of weddings do you plan? So meaning, do you plan weddings for everybody? Just a certain kind of wedding? You got to be prepared to answer what type of wedding planning service do you offer? You know, there's full service, there's day of wedding coordination, partial, there's consulting. People are going to ask you where's a good place to get married locally. I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. Whether or not this is a service you charge a fee for, people are going to ask you that. You do weddings, they're going to ask you that question. Do you know what's going on locally in your neck of the woods? Uh, people are going to ask you, do you have an office? Have you thought about that? Where are you going to do this thing? Are you going to set up in a separate room or corner of the dining table in, in your bedroom? How is this going to work? People, at, people are going to ask you, do you charge for initial consultation, the initial meeting? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about where you're going to meet? Are you going to charge for that? Are you just going to go to every meeting? That's every, every, every time somebody wants to meet you, are you just going to go? Um, are you certified as a wedding planner? That question is going to come up. And this is a question that a lot of people in this industry ask that question, ask, ask about the certification thing. My experience, although it's beginning to change a little bit, is that people who want to hire me don't tend to, ask, they're not, at least they're not asking me that question, usually because there's some history there. And we'll talk a bit about that too. I keep saying that, but it's the truth. I will. Um, so, you know, are you going to be certified? Are you, I mean, is there going to be cost involved? Are you prepared to pay that? Do you think it's going to be worth your while? Are you sure this is going to make sense for you? Can you recommend a good, this is a question that you're going to be asked, by the way. Someone's going to ask you, can you recommend a good, and then you can insert any kind of wedding professional in here, caterer, florist, car company, DJ. You're going to have to know that. Again, that's you being in tune with what's going on locally in your weddings. And at the very least, you should be ready to answer those questions. If you're not ready to answer those questions, hold it right there. Hold it right there because you're not quite ready to be in business. And some of those questions that I just went through, I avoided because I just didn't know how to answer them. That let me know that I was not prepared to run my business. I wasn't prepared to get started with the business because I hadn't taken the time to plan those things out. And then as a professional, you're going to need to ask yourself some other questions. How much money do I need to make each year? Each month, how much money do I need to make each month? How do I know, how much do I know about being a professional wedding planner? Do I really know what's involved? What is my core marketing strategy? Mm, that sounds fancy, right? Yeah, no. How am I, how, how, how I going to get the eyes my way? How will I balance my business with my full-time gig? Many of us are coming in doing weddings on the side. Can, is this going to work? Will I tell my boss about my side gig? Will I tell my coworkers? And if I decide not to, isn't there a strong possibility that they're going to find out anyway? I mean, with social media and all and just people Googling you and stuff, there's a good chance they're going to find out. Am I okay with that? 
ask yourself, are you comfortable asking for the sale? Because as much as you like weddings, if you're planning weddings for a living, you're going to have to ask for the sale. When you meet with clients, are you cool with that? Are you comfortable with doing that? These are questions you have to ask yourself. And how you prepare those thoughts is really a business plan. So that's a broad term. I will tell you that when I joined the Association of Bridal Consultants, I completed a course with as, as a member. And the course or the module, whatever the terminology is, is called Weddings as a Business. And what it is, it's, it's a series of questions that, as, it, as the name suggests, that force you to answer the approximately 45 questions. And it forces you to answer some of the questions I just mentioned that I just talked about. And many of those responses are in paragraph form. I looked at it recently. I have it in front of me. It's 25 pages long. And it, I did that in 2000, oh, I must say it, 2005, I think I completed that. And I'm going to have to plan, I'm, you know, I'm making the plan to answer those questions again. But it forced me to really think about how I want to run my business. And even if it was a viable business option for me. So don't make my, my mistake. Create a business plan in some form. You need that. You need that. You're not, this is not a hobby thing anymore, right? If you want to make money, you need to plan how this is going to work for you. Another mistake that I made was not being local enough. And I sort of alluded to, alluded to this a, a few moments ago. I mean, can you answer how many weddings are happen, happening annually in your area? Do you know how much couples are spending on weddings? Who are the top three wedding planners in your neck of the woods? What are their fees? Why are they the top three? Are you going out there to meet vendors? I didn't do this. I wasn't meeting enough vendors. And I'm going to say it out loud. Help me, Lord. Secretly had a bit of a hatred for some of the local vendors because <laughs> I wasn't getting a great response. And it's because wedding planners don't always come with the best. We don't have a good track record. We come in and then we don't stick around in the industry and then we flake out. So when you tell other professional wedding plan, other professional wedding vendors that you're a wedding planner, the reception isn't always great doesn't mean it's terrible. It's just not always great. And I would, but really what we have to do is we have to fix that. We have to prove to them, hey, I'm the exception to the rule here. I'm not like the others. You got to, I should have surveyed local brides and I had an opportunity to do that really because anyone, anyone that I knew that was getting married, I could have surveyed. And you know, what's really sad. I actually created the survey and the survey. I just went on my, I, the survey sitting there and it's asking questions you know, what type of wedding did you plan? You know, what type of vendors? What made you select this vendors? What do you regret doing? That's great information. Great information. I've always suggested in the past talking to wedding caterers, because wedding, wedding caterers tend to have the finger, on, the finger on the pulse of what's going on locally. And also because when someone's planning a wedding, usually a good portion of their budget, oftentimes up to 50% is going towards the caterer. So once you have an idea of how much people are spending on the catering, you kind of get the full picture of what they're spending on the on the full wedding, on their entire wedding. And that's the kind of information you need because based on the budget, we'll determine what your fees are and if you can actually make a living doing this thing. Even writing about weddings locally would have opened my eyes to what was really going on. Just think about this. You know, you're the local for the local paper and I know a lot of things are online now. If you're the local wedding columnist, People are going to ask you questions and those questions will let you know the things that are on your potential client's mind. 
Plus, you know, I would have earned name recognition and I got the opportunity a couple of times. A reporter had asked for some feedback and I had provided it and they quoted me. They quoted me incorrectly in the paper, but I was in there. I really should have pursued that. I should have said, hey, what about would you be interested in me doing this on a regular basis? I'd be happy to do that. And if, you know, maybe there's no fee involved, but the exchange would be each time that I would print my answers to questions, that would be my name out there. That would have been a perfect example, a perfect way for me to, 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 to make my mark locally. I didn't do that. It's quite easy right now to get caught up in the vast online world because you can be anybody online. And that's part of my hatred of social media. You can be anyone you want to be. But weddings are still local affairs. And you know what? It's possible to be really well known online and practically invisible to couples getting married in your zip code. Isn't that crazy? They don't know who you are because you're not making enough of you're not making enough noise in your neck of the woods. And you need to do that. In fact, if you spent more time on being the local all things wedding guru than being the online favorite, you'll be able to charge more. Your name, the name recognition thing makes a huge difference. I missed that opportunity. I missed that opportunity. Don't do that. Local is good. Don't get caught up in this online mega global thing. Weddings are still local. Another mistake I made was underestimating the emotional side of weddings. So weddings are very emotional. In case you don't know that, I'm here to tell you they are. You're exchanging your service, a professional service for money, but you're really venturing into uncharted territory. I mean, you have to click with the main person who's planning the wedding for starters. And then you have to go back and you have to set boundaries and standards. You got to make it very clear what you will and you won't do and how you expect things to happen. Many of us miss this. And that's when we get into trouble with clients who don't don't respond and think that you're there to do all, all sorts of things that you really aren't being, you aren't there to do or haven't been hired to do. You have to have a spine. <laughs> of course, Debbie. Yeah. But meaning you have to get over your love for weddings because it's so not about that when you're running a business. I'm telling you, rejection is the order of the day. That's just how it goes. Not everybody's going to want to do business with you. Not everybody's going to want to hear what you have to say. Not everyone's going to want you to plan their wedding. Remember, I told you right up front, most couples do not hire a wedding planner. They do not. So as gung-ho as you are, there has to be a need for what you're doing first. That's a part of being a business owner. There has to be a need. I should have said that up front. There's no need. You shouldn't even, you shouldn't, why would you offer your services if nobody wants what you're selling? Right. So this is why you've got to really know what's going on locally. Yeah. And you've got to think like a business owner. Think of the business. The other part of the emotional part of weddings is as much as we love weddings, most of your time is spent doing grunt work. You're not, you, you know, creating. I focus a lot on day of, which requires me to create this extensive timeline. And that's a lot of time in front of the computer, looking at contracts, transferring information from the contracts, verifying with the vendors on times. That's grunt work. It's not, yes, on the wedding day, my team and I are there, but there's so much that has gone in. You know, most of my time has been spent behind the scenes. You need to get used to working with less than ethical and less than professional professionals. You know what I mean? Not everyone's a professional, including us in the industry as wedding planners. But you got to get used to that. Not everyone's going to reply, reply to your emails or call you back or even speak to you the way that they should. You've got to get used to that. You'll also come across planners who feel threatened by your very presence in the local wedding scene. 
especially if there's been one or two that have had the wedding scene on lock and then you show up, be prepared for some mm, not so warm and fuzzy feelings. That's just a part of being a business owner. You have to get used to that. And I underestimated that. I really did. Because I thought, you know, not a big deal. But when it happens, it stings. It does hurt. But you just get up and you keep going. And now I can say it's not such a big deal to me anymore. It gets better with time. It really does. But you have to be prepared for that. Remember, nobody owes you a thing as a business owner, whether you're doing this wedding thing or something else. Nobody owes you a thing. Not even a reply. Not even common courtesy. Nobody owes you that. And you, you don't underestimate like I did the emotional side of weddings. But I, I learned that quick, fast and in a hurry. Another th- mistake I made that I, I've fixed in the last few years is not creating systems. And what I mean by that is it kind of goes back to not thinking like a business owner because I was reinventing the wheel each time a new prospect came along. I'd have to think about what I would say and then, you know, what the next thing would be to do. If you can document your process, you won't be. It's really important for you to know what the next step is and not document my process and then being frustrated about how, you know, what I had to do and missing and forgetting things was not good. Especially when, you know, you have people working with you. I would have people helping me on the wedding day and I would be frustrated that they weren't doing things that they should be doing. But that was my fault because I hadn't created a system for them to learn. I just assumed that they would know what needed to happen. But that's my responsibility. And if I haven't taken the time to document that, I have to tell the person, tell each person each time what to do. That's time consuming. And begins begins to be and it begins to get very frustrating very quickly. You need systems in place. You got to create scripts. You got to create a flow chart or a list of steps as to what happens next. One of the episodes on weddings for a living is the twenty five things I do each time I plan a wedding. It can be as simple as that, but there needs to be a system. Once you have the system in place, then you can add all the flourishes and curly cues that you want, all the extra things. Start, you know, worrying about software. And, but you need to have a basic, plain system that you can just explain to someone with pen and paper or, or type out on the computer. And it just requires you to think and sit back. Okay, client calls. They're going to ask me the price. So I've got to have the prices ready to go. Then if I've got to ask them when the wedding is, where the wedding is, how much they want to spend on the wedding... Why do you have to memorize that? Write that down and be ready to ask those questions when someone calls. And then depending on the answers they give you, hey, this sounds like somebody I should be talking to. I need to arrange a meeting. Wait a second. Where am I going to meet them? I got to figure out some places right now that I know that I can just suggest to someone when they call. I don't want to wait till someone calls to find out where we can meet. Then when we meet, I've got to know what it is. What am I going to say? Well, I better create an agenda. Do you see what I mean? You need systems. You need systems. And then you keep doing that over and over and over again. But the system is the foundation. And then you find ways to maybe make a shortcut here and there. But you don't need to worry about doing, you know, getting all the fancy doodahs and whatever they're called. fishing for words here but my point is you need a system I didn't do that at first but because I'm so anal I, I, I did that quick fast in a hurry right now I love writing lists I create lists and bullet points for so many aspects of my life and things move things run excuse me much more smoothly another mistake I made is not being accountable because I work during the day 
when I first got started, I couldn't answer the phone. This is just an example, right? And the thing is, when someone's planning a wedding, they want to hear from people right away. They do. I mean, and let's think about it. If you're running a business and there's a phone number listed, callers expect someone to answer the phone during normal business hours. They do. So if you're running your business on the side and you're working nine to five, as many of us do, you need to figure out a mechanism so that your calls can be answered. And if for some reason you can't get to the phone, then your voicemail greeting should set the expectation as to when someone should expect to hear from you. Is it going to be within an hour? Is it going to be at the end of the day? But really, clients are, your potential clients are calling until some, calling other numbers until somebody picks up the phone. Perhaps it's something, perhaps the answer is paying someone a dollar or two to answer phone calls sometime, you know, anytime between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. if you're not available. You're only paying them for calls that come through. And I'm guessing as a wedding planner, you're probably not getting 50 calls a day. If you are, then you've got, <laughs> you've got some other great concerns there. But if you're getting a call here and there, then maybe you pay someone who's home during the day or available during the day to take your calls. It may be the one thing that sets you apart from all the other wedding planners. If we know, and I'm telling you, that clients want to hear somebody's voice, then I'm going to get someone to answer the phone. I didn't do that. That was a simple fix because a service that I've been promoting for years, Freedom Voice, and you can go to tryfreedomvoice.com, tryfreedomvoice.com to try it out free for 30 days, allows you to do that because it's a service that lets you forward to phone calls. So you're providing a professional phone number, but in the background, it's forwarding to maybe someone's cell phone, someone's home phone, an office phone, wherever. But just know that if somebody wants to hear your vo hear a voice, then you've got to make it make it available. You've got to make it so. As a business owner, you, as excuse me, as a professional wedding planner, we need to be accountable, and we can't use that as an excuse. I mean, you can you can use it as, as an excuse, but you you're losing business. So instead of finding making excuses as to why things aren't happening, figure out a way to make it happen. And that's some of the, that was one of the mistakes I made, for sure. Another aspect, God forbid, a family death or some other urgency happens and you're not available. What will you do? What will you do? Just not show up on your client's wedding day? And I know that's not at the forefront of your mind if something else is going on in your family. But someone who has paid you for your services expects you to be there. You need to have a plan B in place. You can't just say, I had an emergency and I couldn't be there. That's not good enough. You are an entrepreneur. You're a business owner. You have a contract. Your end of the contract is to be there. You have to have a plan in place if your client has paid you. We have to be accountable. We have to be able to stand up and say, okay, well, this is, this is the plan. It's a sad situation, but once you sign up to become a business owner, this is how we have to think. And it took me a while to wrap my head around that. I get it now, though. Another mistake I made was not discussing with my family. I don't have a huge family here. Um, everyone's in other, across the sea. But when you're running, when you're doing weddings, you know, wedding week, excuse me, weekends and evenings are a big thing. And that affects your family, family life. If you have a family, if you're got, if you got kids, another half, not being available on evenings and weekends takes a toll on them. And that need, that discussion needs to take place because there needs to be a balance. And it helps if those who are closest to you are on board with your wedding planning business. And it also affects things like your taxes, your income, your mood. And as I've mentioned, your time. Each one of those factors 
can create resentment. Ask me how I know this. You know, forever talking about your wedding business and what you're going to do with your clients and things like that. That can get old real fast. So you have to have this discussion with your family up front as to what they can expect, what changes, what, what's fair, what's acceptable. Concerns about health insurance. My mom you know, talks about this all the time, having a good job and with health insurance and retirement. These are things you have to think about. Are you going to lose out on those things if you're running a wedding planning business? And if so, what is the plan? Discuss this with your family. Another mistake I made was not being different enough. And really, this comes down to the, you know, answering the question, why would somebody hire me instead of hiring other wedding planners? When I, so I started off my business in New York, and then I moved to the D.C. area. And again, you may have heard me tell the story. I ended up getting a commercial space, and it was an emotional move that made me do that. I have to admit, having that commercial space helped set me apart. Because when people came into an actual office, an actual space that wasn't my home, they thought, okay, she's she's serious. This is This is someone who's doing the, the wedding thing. And I have to say, I think for, except for one, maybe two occasions, I closed the sale. People hired me. And I have to say that I believe it was having that office space that made a difference. But it was a costly move. I had a lot of expenses before any profit made its way into my bank account. It was tough. And what I should have done, in hindsight, isn't it 2020? I should have varied my income. Things like classes, which I did hold there, for other wedding plans, I should have done that. I could have shared the space. I could have rented out the space. The same way that you may be running your off your you know your business from home and you're looking for a place to meet your clients, I should have made that available. I didn't do that. I should have opened up my doors and had more things going on. I should have gotten more attention and taken advantage of that space that I had. Didn't do that. I was scared also that I wouldn't have enough business if I specialize. And I am a huge, I'm, I am a huge advocate, as you may well know, of specializing. I didn't do that. I wanted to be the general wedding planner. But again, I believe having that commercial space helped set me apart because many wedding planners in the area weren't set, set up that way. But being different is a good thing because if you, what a lot of us do is we imitate other wedding planners, either celebrity or local and we, we're not thinking of our bottom line. We're looking at their fees and we're trying to match their fees. We're looking at how they have their packages set up and we set up our packages the same way or we copy their fees or we slightly undercut them instead of, you know, making a, a, a concrete plan as to what our income needs need to be. When you're not different enough, when you're like everybody else, the only thing that separates you from another wedding planner is price. There's nothing else to compare. If I'm offering the same thing as the wedding planner up the street, the only differentiating factor is really our prices. And you have to stand out to avoid that happening. You do. You have to do something special, do something a little differently. You've got to be different from the other planners. Again, if you are no different to other planners out there, then all you have to go on is price. There's nothing else. Nothing. And a funny thing happens when you begin to stand out, when you do things differently. You start to attract certain people and you repel others. But that's a good thing because you want to work with people that you enjoy working with and doing the weddings that you enjoy doing, right? Isn't that a big reason, a big factor for us getting into a business that doesn't have recurring income and that we don't bill enough time for? Come on. So you have to be bold enough to stand out. And I mean, a lot of time, I hear from folks who say, well, I don't know what my niche is. I don't know what my specialty should be. 
You have to be still. You have to be still because it's usually right there. What, what are you drawn to? What, what comes naturally to you? What do people know that you're good for? Because a lot of times we fight it because we start thinking logically, well, I can't make money doing that. And, and that's a part of it. We do have to make sure there's a need. That need is still a big part. But you have to be true to you. Otherwise, again, you're just going to be fighting. I don't want to use the word fighting, but I'm going to say fighting. You're going to be comp- competing based on price. And that's not what you want. And the final thing, which is a hard thing to hear. One of my biggest mistakes was thinking that I could feed my family, pay my mortgage, and live comfortably planning weddings full-time. Big mistake. I know that's tough to hear. But again, because of the things I mentioned up front, not having the recurring income, not billing really the way that we should be billing for all of our time, because still, at this, at this point, as I record this, the majority of couples do not hire wedding planners. I had to teach classes. I taught for the Wedding Planning Institute for a couple of years. And then I started working with local business owners because my experience at running a local business, I would find other people asking questions and I would help them. And a lot of times it was me just starting up conversation because no surprise there, I'm a talker. And because I learned how to create websites, then you know, people would ask, I was getting a local business owner saying, well, how do, can you help me with that? There were a lot of different moving parts. And even to this day, even to this day, weddings is not my only line. And I focus on day of and more recently, well, not more recently. I've been doing it for years. I've been ordained since 2003, I think. But a lot of um, doing officiating weddings thing is I don't really package it as an efficient. What I do is I add some other bits and pieces like photography, flowers, and it comes up as an all-inclusive thing. But again, that's how you differentiate. That's part of standing out, right? But that's not enough for my, my needs. I know what my needs are. So I have to supplement with some other things. And it's good for me because my attention span is rather short. I think it's getting shorter as I'm getting older. I like to be involved in a few different things. But I'm involved enough with weddings to be on point and I deal, deal with not as many weddings so that I still have several weekends and evenings to myself. And that's a big thing. I got tired of giving up my weekends. I did. I've been doing this for 10 plus years. And I just got tired of that. And I had to be honest with myself because I thought I was somehow flaking out. But evenings and weekends can be tough over and over and over again. So maybe just limit yourself to saying I'm only doing 20 weddings for the year or 10 weddings for the year. And you know what? The more I sit and think and and try to be true to myself, remember I was talking about that a few moments ago about being different? A few of the destination weddings that I planned were the best weddings I ever planned. Plus, I absolutely love all things Caribbean. And the destination weddings I planned were were in the Caribbean. It makes perfect sense. Why have I been dodging that? Why have I been avoiding that? It's been there all along. Do you see what I mean about being still? Because there's so many things to take up our attention, so many bright and shiny objects. And sometimes if we are, if you're just still for a moment, and that means leaving things alone for a while and focusing on some other things, then it becomes, it just shows up. It appears and it's like, crap, it was here all the time. How come I missed that? Another mistake for me. Today, I really enjoy a lot of word of mouth, word of mouth wedding referrals. And I remember hearing about that when I first got started and I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the truth. So a lot of the the weddings that I do, just people that have said, you know, contact Debbie, get in touch. And it's amazing 
how that happens. It's, it's amazing how that happens, but that takes some time to develop. But my point is the mistakes along the way were good learning lessons for me. And I hope what I've shared with you is helping you in some way. I mean, the direction I wanted to go for this episode was we've kind of gone in a different direction, but I wanted to try to be as transparent and truthful as I possibly can. My goal is not to put you off wedding planning as a, a, for, for living, planning weddings for living, but just want to be real. And yes, you can make a full-time income, income if that's your goal, if you're going to go at it. And you can't, you know, maybe you employ professional other professional wedding planners and you you can do more weddings which you actually can but then you're you've got more invested then you've got to start thinking are these people really employees are they independent contractors that's another layer you know i'm gonna have to have an office where they can come to perhaps or maybe not and those are the things you got to think about but that requires planning that requires planning so those are some of the mistakes that i have made as a professional wedding planner to get more information to get the show notes that go along with today's today's episode, go over to weddingsforliving.com slash 397. Weddingsforliving.com slash 397. Please let me know what, what are some of the pitfalls, what are some of the mistakes that you've made. Please share them on the show page at weddingsforliving.com slash 397. Hey, by the way, you know you can leave me a voicemail message, right? If you call 202-681-2126, I'll get your voicemail message. 202 202- 6812126 and depending on what you what it is you have to say I can share it on an upcoming episode okay I hope this has helped you again in some way I still love weddings <laughs> I still think you can make a living, living planning weddings you just have to be realistic about what those goals are but you make sure that you set some goals for yourself don't just copy what you're seeing out there you know observe and learn from but that's you know think about you and what your needs are I'm Debbie Quain, and you've listened to another episode of WeddingsForAliving.com. Thank you for joining me. I look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.